Hey guys, it's your host Jason. Whatsoever is true. Let's jump right into it. Let's not dilly dally. Let's not delay. Um, certainly, it's so important. Let's talk about the subject of spiritual warfare. Uh, are you in spiritual warfare? Of course you are. You're a Christian. That pretty much obvious to you out of all of scripture that there is spiritual warfare. Um, what can we know about it? And what's relevant to us? This is such a huge subject. This could be a series of podcasts. Could be a series of of, of lessons. So <clears throat> let's just hit the, the 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 kind of skim the surface of this today. You are in a spiritual battle that started when Satan rebelled against God. And we know a little bit about this in Scripture. That you know Satan, because of pride, and the, and the angels, the the heavenly host is there. There are numerous angels. They're messengers. An angel means messenger. Now, they're mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament, and, and you know, not as much when you talk pound for pound in the Old Testament, but references to angels all over the place. They're very powerful. They're much more powerful than us. <clears throat> and the host that went with Satan is also very powerful. Think about this. These are references we have. I mean, uh, Mary Magdalene had a, a, she had several demons possessing her. We had uh, the other case of Legion. So clearly there are lots of them out there. And they are active, and I think C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters did a great job with you know pointing that out and giving the, kind of a behind the scenes of of how there is spiritual warfare going on in the lives of Christians. We see a, a, a case in in Job chapter one where where the Lord calls over the, the accuser uh, Satan, and hey, give an account. Uh, we see him in the garden. The first time we see him is in the garden. We see references to him. In the Old Testament, and of course in the, in, the, in the New Testament, in particular, we see some references to him as a dragon and the beast and, and, and you know the false prophet. He's all active in the book of Revelation. So having an understanding of this spiritual warfare going beyond, behind the scenes is, is important, it's instructive. We don't want to get too wrapped up in it because the Bible doesn't give us a full enough picture of exactly what's going on back there. Other than to say that John 8, 44, the devil's a liar and a liar from the beginning. We saw him and he was introduced in Genesis 3, the serpent, as crafty. And he's, he's, he's a deceiver. And he's not, fortunately, able to overpower Christians in, in, in the New Testament age. But he's clearly working deception. <clears throat> there is no doubt about that. So, spiritual battle, first and foremost... Is, is in our lives as is, is believing Christians, assuming you are, that you're listening, that there is a battle to, if the if this enemy can't literally steal your salvation, what he wants to do is mute your testimony and the power of your salvation. And this is done through keeping you mired in sin, keeping you mired in unbelief and old patterns of the flesh. Let's look at Romans 7 when you see that, um, you know, that he says that the members... There's a different law in his body other than the law of faith, the law of the spirit, waging war against the law of my mind. You know, we experience this, don't you? Don't you experience this? That, that you think, well, I love the Lord and I love his word. Why do I still struggle with certain sins? And all of us are going to be different. I think that a lot of men are going to struggle with lust. And this is a pornographic age. And, you know, clearly that's something that, that, a battle that is just cut out for you these days and and that that's something that we want to continue to encourage our brothers in Christ to fight that battle for sexual purity because it's just so it's it, it's ubiquitous on the other hand 
I think that, uh, you know, I, uh, let me introduce this to you in, in this way. M my mother, who passed away over 20 years, well, about 20 years ago, uh, she was a very faithful woman. Um, she was very emotional, and she loved her children <clears throat> tenaciously. Sometimes that was a problem. And I think she struggled with wanting to be with her children more than, than life was allowing and than the Lord was allowing. And uh, there was sin in all of our lives. And I've, unfortunately, like a lot of you guys, have unbelievers in my family. And uh, my mother had a hard time differentiating between loyalty to her children and faithfulness. You know, that was the struggle she had. Um, you know, I sort of talk about her to everybody. <laughs> but, um, you know, she was, a, she was a very faithful woman, but that was a struggle she had. And we can go on and on with this. I think that all of us have our own particular struggles. All of us are united in the fact that we are saved by Christ and we are called to lives of holiness. We are not called to, to laziness and to self-indulgence. Oh, I'm saved. And so that's the end of it. But we're called to be holy because he's holy. And so we need to build each other up. We're not, we're not to be looking for, ex for examples of weakness to each other, but to be looking for examples of growth. Because by that same token, we're judging others, going to be measured back to us, right? We, we need to we, look at Romans 14, read it over and over again. You know, that faith that you have, keep to yourself. And, uh, you know, we, we should love our neighbor as we love it, as, as, as Christ loves us. And, uh, and continue to grow like that. That's a huge battle for all of us. But um, anyway, so here we are, the law of sin, which is in my members. That's that plus. So if you're feeling that, like, hey, I've got this problem. This, this, this sin is in me. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's covetousness. Lack of contentment. Uh, lust. Anger. Uh, you're you're going to go through stages in your life. Seasons of time and seasons for everything. Ecclesiastes 3. And uh, that's rough. So you're going to run into those things. And <clears throat> that's the law of sin. That's still alive in your members. Wretched man that I am, Paul says. Paul says this, right? I mean, this is after he's clearly saved. Who will deliver me from his body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, and like basically on one hand, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other, in my flesh, I serve the law of sin. What a, what a, what a revelation. What, thank God he wrote this for us. So if you're struggling with sin, you don't think, oh my goodness, that's evidence that I'm not a Christian. No, only Christians struggle with sin. Non-Christians don't struggle with sin. They embrace sin. They may have some faint rumblings that it, it not as the moral code written on their heart. That's uh, Romans 2, uh, verses 14 and 15. Clearly, that's written on their heart. They do know this. Romans 1, 32. They not only uh, know that those who do such things deserve to die. They not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. Not in the same sense. Christians have great shame and guilt over sin. The answer to it is that, is that it is the fight of our lives, okay? That's the fight of our lives. We, we do really do a lot of damage to one another and to ourselves within the church if we don't articulate this clearly to everybody. Think of what Calvin said. Calvin had written, we have we've been forewarned that an enemy relentlessly threatens us, an enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and of skill in the science of warfare. And of course, he's talking about spiritual warfare. We must then bend our every effort to this goal. Let us not be overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness, 
but with courage rekindled, let us stand our ground in combat. Great quote from, from Calvin. You know, I think I love how he puts together overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness. We have some people, carelessness, those are people who are overconfident. Maybe you're like the sons of Jacob who are shot through with, with envy and covetousness for their little brother and are so full of hatred, even this, but despite the fact they have so much going for them, right? They've got, they, they're basically running dad's business, Jacob's business. Uh, they're, they're powerful people within their community. I mean, so powerful that they, they slaughtered under false pretenses the, uh, another whole family of, of, and, and clan and uh, now have all this power and free range, basically. And then they have all this wealth and they're still jealous of a little brother. They the promises of God Right, as God's family, of God's covenant family, and uh, that's not enough. So let's not be self-indulgent. Let's not be careless. And Romans Romans eleven says, you know, but don't be proud, don't be haughty, don't be arrogant. You know, towards the towards the, uh, the towards Israel. It's talking about the Gentiles there. Uh, you know, because God has the kind has the ability to grab them back in again. So notice the kindness and severity of God. His kindness towards you, severity towards them. Um, you know, but. That's where carelessness comes in. Spiritual pride seeps in. I, I go to church. I'm a Christian. I don't have any tattoos. I don't use bad language. You know, I'm not, I'm not smoking weed. You know, that kind of thing. And you're like, oh, I'm a good person. That's very careless and very dangerous thought right there. Don't fall prey to that. Stay in his grace. Now, instead of looking at that and, 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 and thinking about how great you are, patting yourself on the back like the Pharisees say, going to before God and go, hey, I thank you that I'm not like that one over there. <laughs> right? That's carelessness. You know, but be humble or faint-hearted. Don't fall prey to thinking that you're no good. You know, that's another issue. We have some, some Christians out there that are just so insecure. And I think there's no way I'm saved. Yes, you are. Look to Christ. Look to Christ and you are saved. Those promises are for you. So, yeah, we mustn't think lightly of the devil. We mustn't think lightly of sin. That's the spiritual warfare. And the spiritual warfare is to bring us away from the obedience of faith, away from a life that's Christ-glorifying, Christ-honoring. We want to be walking this earth in mind that there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, it doesn't say there is therefore now no trouble, there is no, uh, there's no challenges, there are no uh, you know, difficulties. That's not saying that. There's no condemnation. You are secure in your faith. If you put your faith in Christ, not your own works, you are saved. And so, because remember, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is Romans 8. Okay? For the, for the law couldn't do, they couldn't set us free because of sin. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do. By sending his own son and in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements might be fulfilled in you who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Right now, set your minds on the things. Set your mind on the things of the spirit, not the flesh. All right. So, if you're struggling with sin, that's spiritual warfare, and it is an example. It is a great example that you are saved. Remember what it's saying. Put your name into that passage. Right. Put your name into the passage and say, what God has done with the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned. Like I said, Jason's sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in Jason, who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's, that's radically, that's life-altering. 
There's no other way to look at that. But if you really see it for what it is, I mean, how much we've offended the holy God. And he's forgiven us. But not only has he forgiven us, he's given us, he's imputed to us righteousness. We have nothing to be ashamed of anymore. I mean, you think of how easily you, some people, and maybe you struggle with this sin of taking offense at every little thing. Think about how much you've offended God. He loves you. But not only does he love you, he clothes you in, in robes of righteousness. So the devil's going to come along. And it's the thing that I think I like that quote about Calvin is that he's skillful in every, with every conceivable weapon. And the science of warfare, you are overmatched. I am overmatched. Like he said, to, like the Lord said to Peter, he's going to sift you like wheat if you just go out there unprotected. We must stay in the word. We must have lives of, of, of prayer, repentance, adoration of God, and fellowship and submission. Those are the ways you fight spiritual warfare. So take a look at your life and see, okay, do I love the word of the Lord? If not, pray that the Holy Spirit infuses in you that you love the word of the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and say something. I mentioned my mother earlier. My mother, before she passed away, she had cancer. And, and you know, there was a, a couple of months there where the whole thing is you guys probably, somebody's lost somebody, right? So you know what I'm talking about. Well, she packed up her journals and shipped them to me. I got them in the mail. I got these little boxes from my mom. You know, I remember cutting the, the brown tape and, and uh, seeing them sitting in there, all stacked in there. And uh, I remember after she passed away, reading those journals, you know, opening, the, opening them up with the pages to it. And you treat the pages so tenderly because those were my mother's. That was her handwriting. And it was one of the most just, I'll tell you, intense experiences in my life, reading my mother's journals and reading some very personal moments of some, many of which I was involved with. And, I, you know, and so I'm like, oh, this is what she said about this. This is what she thought about this. Um, those are some of the most intense moments I've ever had on this planet. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you look at the Word of God like that? I pray that we do. I pray that we look at the Word of God. That's His letter to us from the Holy God. The Holy God of the universe, the Almighty One, has written us a letter, His instruction in righteousness, so that you know we're, we're, we're perfected in holiness in Christ, the obedience of faith. How should we approach it? So if you're having a problem, if you're kind of dry towards Scripture, pray. And that's the prayer we say, oh, in Jesus' name. And a lot of times we're spending all the time praying for our house to get paid off or to get a better apartment or this. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, guys. What I'm saying is that when we pray in Jesus' name, you're going to notice something that I've noticed in my life, is that when you pray for something God really wants, and that is your personal holiness. In other words, our, our life is now conformed to Him and His goals. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. We generally flip the poles. Look at the prosperity gospel. It's telling you that you're not, your real problem is your lack of wealth. Your real problem is maybe your lack of free time or whatever. It's external. And what you think is wrong in your life goes to show you who you really worship, either yourself or the Lord God. So ask him, give me a love of scripture. Give me a love of scripture as if it's literally pure gold, okay? And he'll do that. He'll answer that for you. Um, and then pray, real prayer, <clears throat> sincere prayer. Sometimes the prayer will be more formal on your knees, you know, by yourself someplace. Other times it's just bowing your head and, and praying or, or sitting there in traffic. And instead of looking at your, you know, looking at the radio or whatever it is you're thinking, you're praying. Um, you know, those are great moments. So prayer, scripture reading, submission, 
go to a church that's faithful, get involved there, and sit under the faithful preaching of the Word of God. If you have a problem with any one of those, those three, then that's indicative that there could be a sin problem in your spiritual warfare, and the, and the devil, who's again, quoting Calvin once more, his skill in the science of warfare, he's cutting you, man. Now, if you're consistently out there, be oh, you know, there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. Find faithful preaching. Don't go into the church as a judge. If that word is being faithfully preached, and, and you discover to either side of you, right and left, that there's, there's sinners on either side of you, well, guess what? <laughs> They're thinking the same thing looking your way. So this church is not a place of sinless people. A church is a place, if you will, for almost like an AA meeting, <laughs> right? As you go in and say, hey, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Hi, my name is Jason. I'm a sinner. And uh, that's the way you want to think about it. If you have a problem with nine other uh, members at church, God has a problem with ten because you're there. So you're not the judge of his, his house. He is. So, again, go spend some time on Romans 14. Um, I say 12, 13, and 14. But uh, that's a way for spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare starts first in the heart that's submitted completely to him in gratitude. In gratitude. If The more we discover, and we want to talk about spiritual warfare, the more we discover uh, that the more and more depth of our knowledge of how sinful we are before him and how much grace he gives us, the less likely we're going to be to sin. That's a fascinating fact. Most of the world says, oh, don't talk about sin. Sin's a danner. Sin's terrible. You know, oh, hell, brimfire, hell and, hell, hell and brimfire and brimstone and all that stuff. And, and I'm going, yeah, well, those, that's what you're not getting. There's no condemnation for, for you in Christ Jesus. That changes everything. So when, you, when, when somebody criticizes you, you're thinking to yourself, eh, well, you know, it, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not all bent out of shape because I know I'm forgiven. That might be hard to hear, but I know I'm forgiven. Right? And so I'm constantly thinking, and, and James Montgomery Boyce or Donald Gray Bonehouse, I don't forget which, I apologize, uh, but speaking extemporaneously here, one of those two gentlemen <laughs> wrote that you're making progress in your faith when you're more worried about how your sin is impacting other people around you than the other way around. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that Christ-like? I'm more worried about what my sin is doing to my family and my friends and my church and the people I work with, then I am the other way around. That's Christ in you. That's the spiritual warfare you really want to fight. Okay? The more Christ-like you become, the greater, the, literally, the greater your life will be. Think of Daniel when he's first taken into captivity. He's probably, what, 15, 16, 17 years old? And Nebuchadnezzar, this is the secular city of secular cities, Great Babylon. He's brought into the king's court, and he said, hey, all right, guys, we're going we're gonna to give you new names, and those names now are names that attach to the Babylonian idolatry. And you, you're not stripped of your identity, you're away from home, and you're in the king's palace, and we're going to entice you with the best education and all of the best diet that even the king gets. And what, is, what does Daniel do? Daniel's not, give me, he, he throws down, he says, hey, not only is the Lord's diet better, but test me on this, let's test this. In 10 days, I tell you, I'll be more fit than everybody else. Are we that confident? Because most of the times we look at sin and think, oh, uh, well, I'm just giving up pleasures here for the Lord. No, you're not. When you, when you look at life that way, you're, 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 we're missing it. Those are things we don't need, and they would destroy us. The, our loving God would never want us to have something that's going to hurt us. 
He's a heavenly father. He can give us anything. But the problem is, unlike his parents, sometimes we wish we can give our kids more, but we can't because there's financial limitations. God doesn't have those limitations. He doesn't. Literally, have you thought of this? He could give you anything. But he doesn't give you anything material. He gives you all things spiritual. But we're running off after every other thing. So spiritual warfare in this regard is, is the, the key to understanding it, is seeing it rightly in the spirit, not the flesh. Those who, right? I mean, for those who are living according to the flesh, set their minds in the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds in the things of the spirit. For the mind that's set on the flesh is death. But the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. Right? Who doesn't submit to God's law. You know, indeed it cannot. Right? It's not even able to do it. So those who are in the flesh can't please God. The goal of spiritual warfare is for us to grow more Christ-like and to please God. That's what we want to do. That becomes our overriding thing. So we look at every little particular in our life and go, "What? where is Christ in this? If you have a problem with somebody at work, where is Christ in this? You have a problem at the church, where is Christ in this? You have a problem with the preaching or something like that, where is Christ in this? That's what we're doing in spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is Christ for all things, all things for Christ, including me. Romans 12, Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is what we're talking about. That by testing, you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's why scripture reading, prayer, and faithful attendance of service, where you're under the word of the Lord, that's important. That's a commandment. That's not because, oh, well, you know, oh, go test him, see what he does. Your life will be better, just like Daniel was when He's in, he's in the great secular city. I mean, right now, here in America, in the West, <clears throat> I'm not sure where you are when you're listening to this, but clearly, this is a humanistic society. Obey the Lord, and that is your blessing, because He is the Father of all gifts. All good and perfect gifts, as James says, come from Him. So, again, <clears throat> let's just wrap this up. People, people think of uh, what is what is a uh, you know, spiritual warfare, and, and they've got these weird ideas of it. Yeah, there could be in, in times in your life where it'll be more intense, where you're put under some pressure testing. Um, but the majority of the time, it is your daily life, if you will, the daily grind. Uh, that's why the Apostle Paul likens the Christian to running the race or competing for the prize, right? And the boxer and the, and, and the Olympic Games. Christians should be disciplined in their life with joy and peace in the spirit with their minds set on the spirit. You can't do that unless your mind's getting some exercise. No more than I can take an obese person who's been sitting around for years with no exercise. No more can I take that fellow and bring him for a five-mile run. Can a Christian who is not in the discipline of prayer and scripture and, and worship which is what we're made for. Can't live by bread alone. We get a lot of emaciated, ill Christians because they're malnourished. They're nourishing themselves by an unwind according to the world. They're trying to unwind by watching Netflix instead of in the Word of God. And I'm not saying don't watch Netflix. I watch Netflix stuff. But I'm saying don't look at that as the center of your life. The center of your life should be joy and peace in Him. And that only happens through, you got it, 
what I just said, scripture, prayer, worship, and then you're getting the other benefits of those things. All right, so that's where spiritual warfare comes. That's why I wanted to read you Calvin's quote. They'd be forewarned that the enemy's relentlessly coming after you, threatening you. An enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon, and of skill in the science of warfare. Guys, we will not win spiritual warfare. We will be defeated. We will be sifted like wheat unless we are, as Calvin tries here, forewarned. And we say in the discipline of Scripture, we say in the things, the blessings the Lord has given us to keep us safe. But if we get careless, we're, we're going to get in trouble. We're going to get picked off. You know That's why there's no Lone Ranger Christian. That's why you hear the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. Our. We're a community. We're a group. We're a real family. We're a real family. Isn't that wonderful? Um, the real family of those who love the Lord Jesus and obey Him in faith. So, all that said, hope this is helpful and edifying. I know this is a, a, a tough subject, and, and, and if you're discouraged right now, if you're struggling with something, I hope these words are a blessing to you. I hope this message is, and, and that, you, that you're not just encouraged by it, but you're encouraged to go to Christ with it. You're encouraged to keep seeing Him as, as who He is, your Lord, your God, your Savior, who loves you and who's going to dance for you when you come into the kingdom. Okay, that's going to be, that's going to be what a day, what a, what a day, you know, and that's coming, that's coming, and you keep your eye fixed on that. There's a great book called Living Backwards about Ecclesiastes, and uh, I like that. So you live backwards, you, you, you look at all the particulars in your life right now according to that truth coming. All right, hope this again was helpful. God bless you, and may God, and God continue to bless you in all that you do, and, uh, and I'll catch you guys next time.